We finished a series last week called Why Worry? And it was a great series because we live in a time where worries is so much part of life. But what is interesting is that when we are in a in a in this spiral of worrying, it is very natural for our lives to start to revolve around us, for our lives to just focus about the issues we are experiencing, and we sometimes start to cut things on the outside. So COVID has been well known that it has isolated people more and more, and even when we can come out, we often don't want to do it because we are so focused on what we are busy with, what's going on in your lives. So today we are doing a single topic, and our topic today is, gonna, is what can you bring to the table? Can you just guys give me some light in the auditorium so I can see everyone, please? Thank you. Yes. What can you bring to the table? Now, I don't know when last you have gone for an interview in your life, like a job interview. But let's be honest, a job interview is stressful, right? But it's easier when they ask you, what's your name? Like, I know the answer to that. Even though I'm stressed, I know my name is Louis, right? If they ask you, what's your highest level of education? Like, I'm still stressed, but I know that as well because I've got my certificate to prove it. It's hanging on my wall. But then they ask you something like this. What can you bring to the table? And then you're like, if I say too much, it might seem like I am boastful and like they might not want to hire me. If I say too little, they might think I'm not worth it. So what on earth do I say? And I actually Googled this term. You can just go and type this into Google. What can you bring to the table? Just that. And articles pop up that helps you and explains to you how to answer this question. This can be about anything, right? But on Google, everything that pops up is about job interviews. So I'm like, clearly people are stressed out about this word. What can you bring to the table? Now, I want to make this an even more difficult question. What if Jesus is sitting on the other side of the desk and he's the one asking you the question? What if Jesus is sitting opposite the desk from you this morning, and he's like, Louis, what can you bring to the table? What do, you ha- what do you have to offer my kingdom? What do you have to offer my church? And if you're not a Christian, you might be like, I have no idea because I'm not even sure if Jesus is going to be the interviewer. I want to tell you he is the interviewer. So what if you ask you, what can you bring to the table? What would you say? And you might be like, I've got no idea because I'm not sure about this thing yet. If you are a Christian, you might still say, I don't know because I, I don't know my worth, I don't know what I can bring to the table. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm worthy enough. I don't know if I've got the right skills. So let me start out this way before we look at this topic. And I want to tell you today that if you have listened to any of our messages over the last couple of months, you would have heard that you do not need to bring anything to the table because Jesus has brought everything to the table for you on the cross. We are saved by grace. But... But he does have a purpose for your life. And he has a purpose for you in this church. And he has a purpose for you in his kingdom. And therefore, you don't have to bring anything to the table to be saved. But he does want you to bring something to the table to make an impact in this world. And we're going to read a story today of three people that were faced by this question 
of Jesus asking them, what can you bring to the table? And three of them responded completely different. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to John 6. Um, It's also going to be on the screen, John 6, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 14. Now, this is probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Why? We've got four Gospels. A Gospel is a fact, the Greek word means the good news, but a Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament, is basically an autobiography of the life of Jesus. Four of them, they talk about the same Jesus, but different people wrote it, and they had different perspectives of what Jesus was doing. So everyone gave us a glimpse of what Jesus was busy with during His time on earth, but there is one miracle that was so significant, so important, that all four of them said, no matter how much we write about this Jesus, if there's one thing we have to write except for the cross, okay, that was amazing, but if there's a miracle that we have to write, it is this one miracle. So all four of the Gospels has this miracle in them. And that's probably why you know it. That's probably why I've heard of it. Even if you didn't grow up in church, there's a good chance that you've heard it. So let's read today John 6, verse 1 to 14. Sometime after this, what is this after this? John the Baptist, family member of Jesus, the guy that God sent to prepare the way for Jesus was just beheaded. That's tough. Sometime after Jesus got this news, his heart is still broken. Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. But when Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him, This is on the mountainside. There's no town nearby. He said to Philip, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Philip, what can you bring to the table? He asked Philip this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for everyone to have a single bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. Jesus like, Andrew, what, what can you bring to the table? And he's like, Jesus, here's a boy that stepped up when you asked the question, but he's got five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed, distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered all the pieces that were left, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. That's what we're going to read today. Guys, this is such a beautiful, a beautiful story. But I want you to, before we talk about this, to just get a bit of perspective. Jesus just heard that his family member, a man that he really loved, John the Baptist, that prepared the way for Jesus, the Bible says, that he was beheaded 
on the request of an evil queen. Why? Because John spoke up and said, told the king that you cannot marry this woman. And then she was like, well, if you don't want me marrying the king, I'm just going to ask him to cut off your head. Jesus is heartbroken. Jesus goes into the mountainside to be alone, to find rest. Jesus did this all the time. Before he did great miracles, he would spend time alone in the mountainside because you cannot lead from an empty tank. So Jesus is on his own. Jesus has all the excuses in the world to not serve anyone. Jesus has all the excuses in the world to be worried because John was just murdered. Jesus knows they are coming after him because he knows everything. Jesus has all the excuses in the world to put all the focus on himself and his own sorrow at that moment. But still, when Jesus sees the people, he does the opposite. He doesn't withdraw into himself. He doesn't just focus on himself. It's not all about himself. He starts to serve them. If you read the stories in the other gospels, the other accounts, he started healing people again. And then he doesn't stop there, he starts feeding them. And I'm like, why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus not just taking time off? Jesus, you've got a valid excuse to just stay in the mountains and to mourn. Why are you in this difficult time still serving other people? And this is why in Mark 10 verse 45, Jesus said why he's doing this. Mark 10 verse 45, Jesus said, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Now guys, if, if this is like, yeah, that's Jesus, this is not normal. No other so-called God, no other ruler steps into the lives of other people and say, how can we serve you? They've got servants. They've got people to meet their every need. When they are mourning, everyone will, will go to them and hear how they can help them and what they can do for them. But Jesus, the King of the universe, steps out of heaven where he had thousands of angels at his feet. And he says, I came to serve human beings. And most of them doesn't even care about me. But he's like, that is my mission. That is my purpose. He heals them. He teaches them. And then he feeds them. But we get this interesting twist in the tale. In verse 5, when Jesus sees the, the need of the people, when he sees they are hungry, he goes to Philip and he says, Philip, where, should, where, sh where shall we buy bread? And Jesus, there's a shop right down the road, or a Checkers, or a McDonald's. There's nothing. They are in the mountain. This is more than 2,000 years ago. Jesus knows there is nothing nearby. Jesus doesn't need to buy food, and Jesus doesn't even need Philip to tell him where to buy food. This is the God who, when the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years and had no food, God magically made food appear every morning called manna, except for on the Sabbath. It just appeared. It was there for them to eat. So Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and fish and chips or a steak and mash could have just appeared, served in a beautiful royal Albert plate with golden knives and forks in front of everyone. That is our God. He is capable of anything. The Bible says the whole world, everything that's created was created through Jesus. So he doesn't need to ask Philip. He doesn't need his help. In fact, when you go and read Luke 19, 
when Jesus, we just had Easter, and we started with Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and people were crying, Hosanna, and they're like, this is the King of Kings, and the Pharisees went crazy, they're like, tell your, your disciples to keep quiet, they shouldn't say this stuff, and then Jesus in verse 40 says, if the people keep quiet, guess what, the rocks will shout it out, now if rocks can shout out that Jesus is the King of Kings, Jesus definitely doesn't need people to bring food, the rocks could have brought food, serve them on a platter, right, this is the God we're serving, God doesn't need Philip. And he doesn't need you and me to accomplish his purposes. He can do it himself. But God chooses to involve Philip. God chooses to involve me. And God chooses to involve you. In his purpose. And I believe more than just the fact that he chooses to involve us. He expects us to be involved. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9, we read that we are God's workmanship, and we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let me tell you what that means in layman's terms. You are no accident. God created you with purpose. He didn't just put you here to kind of like go through life and lie on a couch the whole day and have no idea what life is about. God created you for good works. He created you to do something in this life, to make a difference, to change the lives of other people, to help build His kingdom. God created you with a purpose in mind. And you see, Jesus sets an example for us. He came to serve that He expects us to follow. He made you to serve. He made you to do good works. He made you to love other people. He made you to build his kingdom. And he invites us into this, but he also expects us. He's like, this is your purpose that I made you for. You need to go and you need to live this out. Have you ever heard this saying? If you, if you've, if you grew up in a traditional church, you would have never heard this. If you've ever been in a more contemporary church, it's very good chance that you've heard this numerous times. We do not have to do this. We get to do this. Have you heard that? Now, today, I'm going to talk a little bit about that term, and I want to tell you that term is false and that term is true. Because I think often we use that term because we don't want people to feel like they're doing a job when they're serving the kingdom. So like, you don't have to do this. You get to. Like, he invites you into this. This is so good. But don't worry if you don't, if you don't want to. You don't have to. We use it as a feel-good term. But you see, God wants us to be part of this. I want to tell you, when we hear we don't have to do this, we get to. I want to tell you, no, no, we actually have to. Because we just read that you were created for this purpose, to do good works, to serve, to love. And the Bible tells us that we need to develop in the character of Christ. What does that mean? We want to, as Christians, we will never be perfect. We will never be without sin. But God's desire for you is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Paul says, I follow his example. So we need to develop in the character of Christ. And what is his character? His character is to serve, not to be served. So if we want to grow as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to develop in the character of Christ, then we need to develop a compassionate and a serving heart. We have to 
do it. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck. You're not going to grow. You're not going to look more like Jesus. You're just going to stay stuck where you are. See, the problem is that since the Industrial Revolution, the world has been conditioning us for consumerism. So factories came into existence, and suddenly we have this way of producing stuff constantly. People started moving from farms into cities. People started consuming. So our service jobs are one of the industries that grew the most since the Industrial Revolution. So we've been taught that life is not about serving people, but life is about consuming more stuff, about acquiring stuff. If you're sad, you go and buy ice cream and you eat it. If you want to get from point A to B, you buy a car or a bicycle and you go from point A to B. So we've been conditioned that life is about acquiring stuff instead of serving. And the sad part is that church has also conditioned us that way. Especially if you grew up in a more traditional church like I did, we had this model called the shepherd sheep model. So the shepherd is the minister. He takes care of everyone. He prays for everyone. He visits everyone in hospital. My dad used to visit every single family in his church every year at their home. I never saw him between 7 and 9 o'clock at night because it was always he had to visit every single family. People sat in the pews, and the pastor, the shepherd, had to do everything. We've been conditioned to live that way. But I want to tell you it's an unhealthy way of living because we are missing out on so much when we're not living out God's purpose. You see, when we're not living according to our design, what are we left with? A void. I don't feel complete. Why? Because I'm not living my purpose. So when I don't love God and worship Him, I feel empty. I feel lonely. But I want to tell you the same thing. When we're not serving, you're going to feel a void in your life. Why? Because God created you to serve. God created you for good work. So if you're not doing it, you're going to feel a void. So what do we do when there's a void? I try to fill it with more stuff, consumerism. It doesn't work. I feel empty, so I acquire more stuff. It still doesn't work till the day you find Jesus and you find your purpose of, for life. Then it changes. We read that Jesus had compassion on the people. If you go and read the story in Matthew 14, verse 14, as they were coming, and Jesus saw them from the mountainside, that is literally the words. Jesus saw them, and he had compassion. His heart broke for the people. Numerous times that Jesus had compassion with people, and he says they're like a sheep without shepherd. They're wandering around. They are lost. They need help. Jesus sees the hunger of the people, and he wants to do something about it. So let me turn this a little inwards. When you look around in the world, what need do you see? We're living in South Africa. You don't have to go far. You can just walk out your door, and there's need. You can just walk through the school gates, and there's need. You can just walk into your place of business, and there's need. What need do you see? But there's also need in his church, in his body, in Prodeo. 
And that's why the Spirit, the Bible tells us, and we're going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks, about the gifts of the Spirit. But the Bible says, when we accept Jesus, we receive His Holy Spirit, He gives us a gift. Why? To build up the body. God is like, there will be gaps, need in the body, and I'm going to equip every single one of you to meet those needs so that there will be no more needs left. So when you look around, you have the heart of Jesus, the character of Jesus that sees the need in this world. Do you have compassion with it or do you just see it and move on? You see, for Philip, it was easy when Jesus asked him. He started to do calculations. He was probably an engineer or an accountant. He starts doing math, okay? And he's like, I... The average worker earns one denarii a day. So in the Greek, it doesn't say half a year of work. It says 200 denarii. It would take 200 denarii, so almost a year's work, to buy enough bread so everyone can have a little bite. He's doing the calculations. He's doing the math. And he's like, God, there's no way. My excuse is valid because this cannot work. Moses and Gideon, two of the great leaders in the Bible, when God is like, Moses, I want you to save my people. He's like, but, 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 but God, I st- 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 start there. And God's like, I'll send you Aaron. He will go with you. He will talk for you. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. But God, there's another problem. I think his stutter probably disappeared at that point. I'm not sure. He's like, but no one will believe me. And he keeps making excuses. When Gideon, when God called Gideon and God is like, my people are in a crisis, you need to rise up and you need to help them. Gideon is like, but God, my, my family is, is not of the right social standing. We're not wealthy. I can't defend these people. What do, you, what do you think? Like, I've got a valid excuse. I want to tell you, all of these people almost missed out on the beauty of what God wanted to do through their lives because they were full of excuses. As long, as long as you are making excuses, you are making yourself unusable for the kingdom. If you're like, I don't have the right skills, I don't have the skills of the people on stage, or I don't have enough money to make a difference in the poverty of our country, I don't have the skills to help someone in need, I don't know what to do. You are making yourself unusable and you're going to miss out on the beauty of what God wants to do through your life because of excuses. If you go and read the Bible, you will read about the miraculous things that happened in the life of Moses and of Gideon. They almost missed out on it. But Jesus doesn't just see it and have compassion with people. That's often where we stop. We see a need, we cry about it, and we move on. Jesus sees a need, he has compassion, what does he do? He acts on it. He starts healing, he starts feeding. What are you doing about it? What needs have you seen around you? What needs have you seen in this church? And what are you doing about it? And I know the easy excuse, but what can I do? I don't have the skills. I don't know if I'm even worthy. Listen, I'm trying to figure this Jesus thing out. How am I supposed to help build this church? When I don't even have that down. How, how can I make a difference? And that is where in verse 9, a little boy shows up. Mario, can you bring me my, <clears throat> my illustration, please? A little boy shows up, and he brings Jesus five loaves of bread. Thank you. 
and two fish. Now, I've got one loaf of bread today. And this is, this is a little bun. We don't know exactly how big his loaves were. It was probably not very big because he was a small boy and I had to carry all of it with him. But I want to show you how valid the excuse of this boy could have been to say, I have nothing to bring to Jesus. I have nothing to bring to the table. He had five loaves. How many men were there? 5,000. Is that how many people there were? That's how many men there were. They had wives. They had children. But let's say the only people who had to eat were the men. Because if, they, if the wives and the children get hungry, we know what's going to happen. They're going to start chewing on dad's leg, right? So the man has to eat. One piece of bread. We've got two. This has to feed 500. This has to feed 250 people. 125. We're not even that many people in the room. We're not even at 50 people yet. We're not even at 20 people yet. We're not even at 10 people yet. Five. I don't even think I can divide this bread into smaller pieces. This boy had a valid excuse to say, Jesus, I have nothing to bring to the table. Now let me take it a step deeper that you won't even know if you don't know some of the background. You ready to go deeper? Okay. The Bible says that it was five barley loaves. This is a beautiful, soft hamburger bun. A barley loaf was not a beautiful, soft hamburger bun. This boy was from the low classes. Because we read Josephus, a lot of historians write about it, but Josephus, between 400 and 100 um, after Christ, he wrote a lot of history down for us. He wrote that barley bread was not for human consumption. It was well known that it was only for the poorest of the poor. It was the bad bread. It was the bread that Sasco throws out because it's been standing on the shelves for five years and it's so hard you can do nothing with it. So this boy had all the reason in the world to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am not good enough. I don't have enough. And what I do have is so bad that I cannot offer it to your kingdom. I don't have the skills. I don't have the money. I don't know how to do this. So just skip me over, God. Go to someone who knows how to preach. Go to someone who knows how to serve. But skip me over. We can be so afraid of not being good enough that we never step out of our comfort zone. But I want to tell you today that in the light of our human inability, when my bread is stale, when it's not enough to feed people in the light of our human inability, the ability of God becomes greater. You see, because people didn't get a bite like this, we read in verse 11, if I remember correctly, that everyone had as much as they wanted. Not this piece, not even this whole bread. They ate Till they were full. And then they had a little more just for the fun of it. Because this is Jesus' bread. And there was more than enough. 
everyone got what they wanted. A little bit goes a long way in the hands of Jesus. You don't grow in your comfort zone. You don't grow in the place where your piece of bread is enough to feed everyone. You also don't grow in the danger zone, the opposite side. The danger zone is where you bring five loaves of bread and you believe you can feed 5,000 people. That's not going to happen, buddy. You see, so you don't grow in your comfort zone where you don't serve. But you also don't grow here where you are put on stage and you cannot sing two notes straight. That's your danger zone. Do you know where we grow? Somewhere in the middle. We grow in our sweet spot. We grow in a place where we have something to bring to the table, but we need God to make this come to full fruition. You see, when your ordinary becomes the extraordinary, the extraordinary, that is when we grow. When your ordinary becomes the extraordinary in the hands of God. And what's beautiful is God is never asking you to bring what you don't have. He's asking you to bring what you do have, your five loaves of bread and your two fish. He's not asking you to today bring something you don't have. He's not asking you to give money to the church that you don't have. He's not asking you to start serving and you are incapable of doing it. He's not asking you to change every single issue in the world that you cannot do on your own. He's asking you, bring what you have. Bring that to me and put that in my hands. See, Jesus asked Philip, Philip, where are we going to get bread for the people? And it's like, I don't know, Jesus, so what? Did Jesus ask Philip to bring something he didn't have? No, because the Bible specifically says that he was testing Philip. He wanted to see if Philip had faith. He wasn't expecting Philip to bring something he didn't have, but he wanted to see if Philip had the faith that Jesus could do the miraculous with nothing. He wants us in a place where we are reliant on Him. That's where God wants us. We don't have to, we get to. I said, no, no, we do have to. But here's the beauty, I said it's also true, because we get to. And this is why this part is so important. The other side of the coin. Jesus took the bread. And he told his disciples, if you read in some of the other gospels, he made the people sit in little groups of 50 and 100 smaller groups. And he told his disciples, you go. Remember, God has a need to use us. The bread could have flown through the air and landed in front of people. But again, God chooses to involve us in his purpose. So he invites his disciples. He's like, I want you to go and hand this bread out to the people. So Jesus starts breaking the bread. After he prayed, he breaks the bread. He starts giving it to the disciples. And the disciples starts giving it to people. It was five loaves. And we've already served 100 people. But Jesus keeps giving. Jesus is like, come back for more. And every time they come back, Jesus just keeps breaking and give them more. And they keep feeding people. And at the end of the day, 5,000 men had food, including their wives, including their children. Children. And that is wild. That is God doing the miraculous with the ordinary. And you're like, that is cool. But it gets better. In verse 12 to 13, Jesus sends his disciples to pick up the leftovers. How many disciples were there? Twelve. And he sends them each with a basket. 
And it's like, I want you, you just saw a miracle of five loaves and two fish feeding thousands of people. Now I want you to go and collect the rest of the leftovers. And they are standing with the basket and they're like, Jesus, come on. What are we supposed to do with the basket? There's nothing left. There's 5,000 men. A man, a man can eat a loaf on his own. There's nothing left. Jesus is like, go and pick up the leftovers. So they each take the basket. They start walking through the people. A lot bigger auditorium than this one. Because there were 20,000 people or something like that. By the way, just a miracle that they could hear Jesus speak, that's already blowing my mind. I've got a loud voice, but we need a speaker for you to hear me, right? So they start picking up the bread that was left over, start throwing it in the basket. People start passing on everything that's left. They start filling it up, and finally the baskets are full. And each one of the 12 start walking back to Jesus, and he's looking at his basket, and he can't believe what he saw because it was five loaves and two fish. It was not enough to fill this basket, but my basket is full. And he walks, and his eyes are down on his basket, and he stands in front of Jesus, not knowing what he's seeing. And he looks over to his brother's. And their eyes catch, and they look down at the baskets, and their baskets are full as well. Each one had a basket full of bread. We don't just have to. We get to. We get to see the majesty and the splendor and the wonder of our Creator when we serve Him. He invites us to pick up our baskets when we serve, He invites us to see the difference that your act of service makes in the life of someone else. He invites you to serve, but He doesn't just leave you there. He blesses us when we serve. We get to pick up a basket and see a life that was broken be restored. When we pray for someone, we pick up a basket and we see a child that was sick being healed. When we pick up our baskets, we see a church plant that was barely surviving through COVID growing. When we pick our baskets, we see the glory of God unfolding in front of our very eyes. So can we change that saying today? I want to change it. For never, for, it should never be, we don't have to, we get to. It should never be that again. Because I want to grow in the character of Christ. So let's change it today. And let's make it. Where's my saying? You have to. You get to. You have to because we're going to grow in Christ. But we get to because we have the privilege of seeing what God can do in this world when we are willing to bring the little bit we have the little bit of skills, the little bit of money, the little bit of hope, the little bit of faith, when we put that in the hands of Jesus and He starts multiplying it, we get to see the glory and the splendor of God. So let me close with this. In verse 14, after all of this has happened, we read that after the people saw the sign, they realized, they began to say, surely, this is the prophet who is to come to this world. Your act of service might be so small and insignificant that you feel like a little boy with five loaves and two fish. It might be to greet someone with a smile. It might be to look a car guard in the eye and ask him how his day is instead of just throwing a two rand at him. 
might be to bring your two copper coins to church. But when we serve and God multiplies what we bring to the table, other people get the opportunity to meet the risen Savior. So what are you going to do with this today? What can you bring to the table? Let's pray. Jesus, so often, we feel like we don't have what it takes. We're not sure if we are good enough. We're not sure if we are, we're not sure if we are skilled enough. We're not sure if we've got the gifts that it takes to serve your church, to serve this world, and to build your kingdom. But thank you that all you are looking for is a willingness to step out of our comfort zone and the faith to trust you. And I pray today, God, that you will show us what we can bring to the table, that you will show us how we can step it up. And I pray that you will multiply our giving. I pray that you will multiply our generosity with our time and with our talents and with our treasure. And that we would see the glory of God right here in Durbanville, in Belleville, in the northern suburbs of Cape Town. I pray that a lot of people will meet you through our simple acts of service. That your kingdom will grow and expand. In Jesus' name, amen.